welcome to TPT's podcast. I'm Dan Friel. As always, I've got Josh Brown and Maury Hirschgordon with us. Josh, how are you today? Good, Dan. How you doing? Good. Winter's upon us. Yeah, we're in Boston. I know you're back in the TBT World Headquarters, so uh, not the best time of year, but we'll muddle through it. <laughs> Maury, how about you? How are you been? Dan, everything's been going great. Yeah, here, Thanksgiving was good. Uh, no, now it's getting to the holiday season. Christmas time's rolling around. That's great. Um, guys, anything standing out to you in basketball the last couple of weeks? We haven't spoken in a little while. Um, I've, I've been watching a fair amount of NBA. I mean, the best game, I don't know if you guys stayed up late, that Rockets-Warriors double overtime game uh, last night was an early candidate for uh, game of the year. We know, I mean, the Rockets, Bobby Brown is playing for them, so a little bit of a TBT connection Aaron, uh, the Rockets ended up beating the Warriors in double overtime last night. So um, the NBA has been looking good. I haven't been able to get into college too much. I feel like uh, we have to hit that like January, February mark before I can really get into it. Um, but I've been paying attention to local teams. Harvard, uh, they just opened up their year. They're doing well. Um, you know, I go to Northeastern. They're doing okay. And BC is the dumpster fire uh, that they've been the last couple of years. Yeah. So, uh the uh, alumni team was certainly a, a collection of BC greats, but they're certainly on the downward uh, swing of the pendulum right now. Maury, how about you? Anything standing out? Uh, yeah, you know, Russell Westbrook's playing the NBA specifically. I mean, the the man is, you know, just a one-man wrecking crew. He's averaging, you know, 31 points, 11 assists, and 10 rebounds. It seems like he's having a triple-double every night. He's uh, averaging you know, a triple-double from what I saw, right? Yep, he's averaging a triple double. He's had four straight games of tri- of a triple double now, and his team is seven and two in the nine in the nine games he's had a triple double. So, you know, just complete domination f- from his end. And you know, maybe you know, in the, in his eighth year, you know, Kevin Durant left to go to the Warriors, and he said, you know, it's my time, it's my team. He was, you know, a little shadowed with uh, James Harden and Kevin Durant prior, and then you know, Harden left, and you know, now it's really his team to take over, and he's clearly showing that because his Team's only five and six, you know, when when he doesn't have a triple double. So night in and night out, Westbrook really has to bring it. But the thing I'm most impressed about him is, you know, he's getting it done the old-fashioned way. The three balls are great. You know, I loved watching Steph Curry hit all those three balls, you know, last year and breaking the record and and the way the Warriors play the game. But he's getting to the line over ten times a game. He's got a great mid-range game, and you know that's one thing parallel, you know, the NBA to the TBT with a lot of guys that play overseas the overseas game is a lot of mid-range it's a lot of pull up you know off of off of a ball screen a cut back door you know hit a jump shot off the glass and you know that that's just a common theme now in today's in today's game you know even even despite the influx of three-point shots you know even a player like DeMar DeRozan who's averaging you know upwards of 30 points he's known for just getting to the line over 10 times a game and making a ton of you know 12 to 15 foot jump shots. You know, the, uh, Bob Ryan from the Boston Globe has maintained that the three-point shot has just so dramatically changed the game of basketball that it's almost unrecognizable. And it's hard to even conceive of a time where they didn't have the three-point shot, but it definitely has changed you know, a lot of aspects of how the game is played. Yeah, oh no, for, for sure it has. You know, Russell Westbrook, DeMar DeRozan, even James Harden, you know, he'll hit some threes, you know, here and there, but... You know, these guys get it done at the line. You know, they, they drive, they draw contact. They're playing over 30 minutes a game. And, and last night, like Josh just mentioned, the Rockets-Warriors you know, Rockets game was, you know, one to remember. All right, guys, we have a couple interviews this week. Uh, I spoke to and sat down with John Mugar, TBT CEO and founder, uh, for a while and had some good stuff from him. He had a great uh, conversation towards the end about the end of games and how to possibly improve that. So we'll talk to John Mugar about that. And I know more, you spoke to uh, former Syracuse and Bayheim's Army star, Eric Devendorf. 
I did, Dan. He gave me, you know, a lot of great things. He he decided to hang up the jersey, uh, hang up the hang up the sneaks. Uh, now he's, you know, coaching. He's on the other end, trying to learn a different aspect of the game. Uh, he is a he's an assistant basketball coach, you know, f- uh, for performance uh, at Syracuse, which basically means day in and day out, he's working players out. He's working, you know, primarily with guards because he was a, a combo guard at Syracuse, you know, in the early 2000s uh, and mid 2000s. And he said he's loving life. He said he's, you know, around a ton of class act guys. He's around a great coaching staff that includes Jim Beheim, Mike Hopkins, Jerry McNamara, Adrian Autry. Uh, and he said, you know, he's loving loving life in the Qs. That's great. All right, let's go to those interviews now. First up will be John Mugar, and after that we'll listen to Eric Devendorf. Okay, we're sitting here in TBT World Headquarters with CEO John Mugar. John, how are you doing today? I'm good. So I guess what I really wanted to start with, John, was uh, you've had some time to think now about TBT 2016 and your general thoughts on how the tournament went and what you, uh, what you liked and what you loved. Having um, a repeat champion is, is the, the top development in my mind from 2016. Having a team that's 13-0 and 0 in 13 single elimination games. Uh, I never, never thought that would happen. Uh, it's unbelievably hard to do. Every, I think if you look at every single one of their 13 games, you know, none of them were complete blowouts. They they went through some unbelievable players and teams. So that's the top development in my mind. Um, as far as the idea goes, I think we just kind of further cemented that uh, it works and there's a whole demographic of player out there that deserves to uh, to play on that on that stage and it's unbelievably exciting to watch the most intense basketball in the world in our product one of the great things about overseas elite last summer was that dj kennedy apparently was left the summer league and left it in las vegas and then flew down to charlotte to go play with overseas elite you were there to see that happen what were you just going through your mind when you saw him arrive at uh, at the arena yeah in 2015 when they first showed up for the first game they had four and then the fifth ran in the last second uh in 2016 they had, I think, just about everybody there, uh, and including DJ Kennedy, who, by all accounts, was going to be missing TBT's first weekend to go to Summer League. When he walked in the door, it was a major sign to me um, and everyone else there that they're there to play, uh, and they know that they want to repeat. And so I felt like once he walked through the door, they were definitely going to the Super 16. Um, you just said it a second ago about you know TBT being the most intense basketball, and I think that's obviously the intention when the event was designed is that you're going to put the highest stakes possible for these teams, and then they're going to play to that level. But has the intensity of the tournament and how hard these teams play surprised you, or is it about what you expected? The intensity hasn't surprised me, but the the level of play has surprised me, and the, and the level of player that's out there has surprised me. Um, Really, you're not going to see anything even close to to what you get at TBT anywhere else where you, from the second the ball goes up in the air to start the game, there's not a second of any game where any player is taking it off. Uh, they're all, every team's united in their goal to, to win the game, and uh, there's absolute maximum intensity the entire time. Well, one of the things that comes up a lot is the the 36-minute game. And we were talking about this yesterday, how... A shorter game means fewer possessions, but can you kind of walk people through why it is that that shorter game leads to sort of the results that we have? I don't know if the if it's the the shorter game or the fact that everybody 
knows that they can't take a sing- single playoff that we that we have. I mean, obviously with a shorter game, there are fewer possessions. There's a few, there's less of an opportunity for more skilled teams to to maybe get ahead of their opponent. Um, but that just having having a single elimination game um, where everything's on the line, you're going to get the best performance out of every single player the entire time. Um, and with a single elimination tournament, you know, you see in March Madness, you don't know there's a 15 seed can beat a two, te- two seed at any, any time. So I, I don't know what causes uh, the, the closeness in the games, whether it's the, the shortness of the game or the, or the format itself. Are you able to look at these games as a fan in terms of enjoying the, the upset scenario? Last year we had a 15 beat a 2 and a 16 beat a 1. When you're watching those games, what's kind of going through your, your mind? Um, I think when I'm watching the games, I'm sort of mentally just a mess. Um, I, I have a, a lot of anxiety swirling in my head. Um, so it's hard for me to, to watch them objectively. I'll see a play here and there and, um, and I'll appreciate it. But uh, for the most part, I'm, I'm thinking about um, things that could possibly go wrong. <laughs> in terms of uh, looking back at 2016, were there any players that surprised you in terms of their quality or their intensity or you know, other th- attributes about them that you know, kind of stuck in your head? Yeah, I think a team like Jackson, Tennessee, who beat Kentucky, we had them at a 16 seed. Um, when people like that show up and you've never seen them before, never heard of the players before, and they perform well, it's always very surprising. Uh, a guy named John Octius on Armored Athlete <clears throat> really surprised me. He went to Purdue a few years ago and never heard of him, and he's probably the most athletic human I've ever seen on the basketball court. And you just look at someone like that, and you don't know. You Google them, and uh, and and you don't understand, you know, why more people don't see this person play regularly. What are you watching sports-wise right now? Or is there anything that you're kind of tuning into? Mm, college basketball this year, I'm kind of getting into it. Yeah. Any teams or anything you're watching in particular? I've watched um, two or three games. I've watched Virginia twice. I'm watching them because I'm interested in their offense and their defense. They do a blocker-mover offense, which is a throwback sort of an offense. But um, As a fan, is there a particular style of play that appeals to you? I like whenever you trust that teams want to win uh, or players want to win that, and it's the most important thing to them. So any game seven, like a, I'll watch a baseball game seven or an NBA game seven or any game seven where that you have that energy in the building, it doesn't really matter what it is. Just I just want people to compete hard. Um, what's your favorite off-season development? Anything you can tease for 2017? Yeah, we're the um, the idea of a play-in event to get into. Last year we had over 300 teams apply for 64 slots, so there was a lot of demand to get in, and we're looking at a way to service that demand with some. A play-in event. I was approached by uh, by someone from Mensa, too, who has a um, like literally from Mensa, right? <clears throat> by the way, Mensa is the organization for geniuses. You have to pass a test to become part of the part of the group, which obviously I'm not in. I don't know if you are. Yeah. Really. And with all the world's problems figured out, the people from Mensa have turned their attention to sports. This guy from Mensa has reached out to us with an idea for how to end basketball games. Uh, in his opinion, better. 
So he's identified a problem with basketball games where the final minute of the game and about 15 to 20 percent of the game takes 10, 10 minutes to play out because of people stopping the clock and fouling. Which people complain about all the time, regardless of level. The people are always complaining about the end of the game. So what is the, the kind of the, the broad strokes of what Mr. Mensa's idea is for ending a basketball game? Mensa sent me an 80 page PowerPoint deck about this, um, the way to change the end of a game, which can be summed up in about 15 seconds. So his solution is that basically you play to a goal score as opposed to uh, a flat out 40 minute game. Um, so once you get down to four minutes left in the game, you stop the clock and you take the, the clock just turns off at four minutes. You just shut the clock off, you unplug it. And what you do is you take the winning team score and you add seven to it. And then whichever team at that point gets to that goal number, that's the winner. So the score is 81-80, four minutes left in the game. The clock goes off. The goal score now is 88. Is that right? Yep. So it's 81-80, clock goes off, whichever team gets to 88 first wins. So if, it's, if the score is 80-40 to 40 at that point, clock goes off, first team get to 87 wins. So by doing that, the clock doesn't really matter. It's not a factor. The losing team doesn't have to foul anymore. And uh, it's all about hitting that goal score. The reason you add seven and shut the clock off at four, Mensa figured out that's the way to, to, um, to time the games out in a two-hour window, which is what they're, they fit into now. So you're intrigued, obviously, by this idea. You reviewed the 80-page PowerPoint that Mr. Mensa sent. Thoughts on application of that end-of-game scenario? It's very radical, and I don't. We definitely wouldn't do it in the tournament, the main tournament yet, maybe. Um, but with like a, a playing game or something like that, or playing event, definitely it's possible. What did, what would be the argument in favor of, or is there an argument in favor of just playing to a score, like first to fifty, first to sixty, whatever, something like that? How does that fit in? Let's let's um, playground basketball. When I first. Uh, we were, I think like three or four years ago before this got into, we, before we started doing TBT, um, before 2014, I talked to Kurt Rambis, who just happened upon him, who I just despised, despised that man growing up. Um, but I had a chance to sit down with him, uh, and I met him, and uh, he's an awesome guy. But he said, you know, the one thing about basketball now is that players don't grow up playing playground basketball. Um, where they're playing to a goal score, where you only play by winning and staying on the court. Right now, it's your guaranteed time and all this AAU stuff, and people just play. Um, so, so the outcome of the game doesn't really matter as much now as it did back then. So this, that doesn't answer your question at all, but I just wanted to talk about Kurt Rambis. Well, I think it is interesting, though, because the idea of having to win to stay on the court, David Aldridge, when he came to the championship game in 2015, his article basically said that was that there's something throwback about TBT. It harkens back to a day where you, you won and you ate. In other words, like if you want to keep playing, you have to win. So that's basically what Rambis is saying, right? Well, let's just face the facts right now. All right, sports, sports are best presentation when it matters most which team wins. I mean, that's just flat out. That's, like, that's a truth, in my opinion. Right, and that's what you were saying about Game 7s. Absolutely. So when, when, you, when you dilute that need for a team to win or you dilute the need for a player to play hard or win, 
then the sport, the product suffers. I mean, that's just like that's just a, a basic fact that we're addressing. So that's what you're saying. When you play to a goal score, winning is ultimately uh, increased in importance just that more dramatically. It, no, I mean the goal score. I, I think the format's the most important thing. Like just being single elimination. Right. That's that's what matters. Playing to a goal score only really affects the time and the flow of the game. Uh, and it would obviously eliminate the, the fouling and that sort of thing. But the, the, the tricky thing about the goal score is I can see from the business perspective is you have no idea how long the game's going to take. So a, the fan could go to the game and they could be there for 20 minutes or five hours. Oh, you mean like a total goal, goal score, like yeah. playing to 60 rather than doing your Mensa four-minute yeah. thing? The Mensa hybrid gets you into the two-hour window. A total goal score is just a wild, wild card. All right, John, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. Anything else you want to say before parting? Happy New Year. Now joining the TBT podcast is Eric Devendorf, a guard from Bayheim's Army, who helped lead his team to two consecutive Super 16 appearances and even one appearance in the round of eight in, 20, in 2015. Eric, thanks for hopping on the podcast. No problem, man. Appreciate you having me. Anytime, anytime. And, uh, you know, we're thinking about having, you know, who to have on at the, at the beginning of the podcast and, and, and who we want to interview. And there is no one else better than to have you, someone who's been a fixture not only in college basketball, but in the TBT, you know, averaging close to 20 points a game. But before we get into the TBT a little bit in the tournament and how you guys formed Bayheim's Army, you know, I see you, uh, you're, now, you're now an assistant of basketball performance. You're back at the Qs. You're helping out your alma mater. So just uh, update us a little bit about what you're doing now and what you're doing with the team. Yeah, definitely opportunity opened up for me. Um, you know, Coach looked out at I was able to come in here and, and learn the coaching side of things, uh, break down film, doing scouts, uh, you know, helping the guys out, match them. You know, I've, I've been through what they're going through right now, so, you know, it's easy for me to relate. And, um, you know, I'm just happy that Coach uh, gave me this opportunity. I'm definitely going to take advantage of So what are some of those roles and responsibilities that you have on a day-to-day basis? We're, we're taping this on a game day, you, you guys play South Carolina State later tonight at the Carrier Dome. So, you know, on a non on a non uh, game day, what are you doing? And on a game day, what are you doing? So today is a game day. I just got done working out some guys. I mean, it's, it's up to them, really. You know, some guys want to come and get work out. Other guys may want to, you know, keep their legs fresh or whatever it may be. Some guys may just want to have shots. Um, you know, on an off day, you know, same sort of thing. They'll call me. We'll get some work in. You know, if, if we're not doing that on the court, um, we can be upstairs, you know, breaking down film, watching film. Um, you know, I do a little bit um, with the operations side of things, uh, you know, just help putting out newsletters and, and news to NBA teams or uh, former alums that, you know, just keeping them up to date on the players and, and also the former guys who used to play here as well and, and how they're doing either in the NBA or overseas. So a little bit of everything, man, and, and just really trying to, you know, soak up all the knowledge from, you know, these four guys. I mean, you got Coach Bam, Hall of Famer, and then uh, Hobbs, Mac and, and Red, um, you know, all are great guys to learn from. So I'm definitely happy and excited about the opportunity. And, um, you know, we're looking forward to having a great year. You guys are off to a great start. You're 3-0. You know, you beat you know a couple mid-major powerhouses, uh, Team Mammoth, who could have gotten to the tournament, Holy Cross, who was in the tournament. What's been the best part, you know, about working with the guys? Uh, man, just, just able to get back out there and, and uh, you know, share my knowledge of the game, share my experiences. Like I said earlier, um, you know, I went through exactly what they're going through right now. I know Coach 
how he is as a coach, how um, you know how he can get on the players, and you know so everybody takes it different. Um, just trying to you know coach those guys through it, and you know let them know if he gets on you, then it's not the end of the world. Um, to be able to work through it and, and push through the ups and downs of the season, because you know everybody's going to have them, everybody's going to make mistakes, guys are going to get down. So you know for me to be able there and, and, and share my experiences and, and, and my knowledge with them, uh, you know I think it, it definitely helps those guys out. You're working with some really talented guys, uh, you know, a highly touted freshman in Tyus Battle, you know, a great transfer in Andrew White who really can, you know, knock down the three. And the combination of John Gillen and Frank Howard seems to, you know, be working out really nicely, uh, you know, with, with, with what both of those guys bring. Your coach, Jim Beheim said, you know, it's one of the deepest teams he's ever had. It's one of the best teams he's ever had. You've been on some great Syracuse teams, but can you attest to the words that he said, you know, this year about, about Syracuse? You know, I think every you know every team is different. Uh, every team obviously is going to have talent at this level. Uh, you know, playing at a high level, everybody can play. Um, but this team is definitely one of the deeper teams that I've, that I've seen. Um, you know, we have so much talent, athleticism, height, length, um, perfect for the style of play that we play. Um, so you know, really, when we have guys coming in and out, we're not dropping too much. You know, guys can really be steady and you know hold it down while the other guys are starting or not coming off the bench. Doesn't really matter. Um, you know, I think when we get into ACC play, it'll be, you know, maybe trimmed down to a little bit, you know, lesser guys coming off the bench. But um, if we, just to have those options, you know, you know everybody can come in and, and help out, um, you know, helps out the press and helps out, you know, guys in case we get injured or whatever it may be. So it's definitely a good thing to have. And, and you know, it could be a problem sometimes maybe, but I guess it would be a good problem to have. I think a lot of talent is always a good problem to have. You know, you guys are really going to be able to use it especially in your upcoming non-conference against teams like South Carolina, Wisconsin, Georgetown, UConn. Transitioning now over to, um, you know, a team that you play for, Bayheim's Army, a team that, that, you know, has a chance to win $2 million every summer. You guys had a really good summer. You got back to the Super 16. Um, but before we even get into this summer, when did you first hear about TBT? And did you really believe that you guys could have a shot to win $1 million or $2 million? I first heard it when I was actually overseas. You know, I got a call from, uh, you know, actually Kevin. Uh, he told me about it, and it was definitely interesting when you put that amount of money on the line. Uh, but yeah, I mean, no question in my mind. I mean, I know, you know, the type of guys I know can, you know, compete with the best, the best of the best. And um, I'm definitely not lacking any confidence in that department. So um, when he said it and brought the news to me, it was, it was definitely exciting. But um, you know, I jumped up, jumped all over it. And, you know, we, we, we tried to send them the best team that we could. Um, I think the first year, we, we might have been a little bit more structured as far as knowing who the guys were on the team and we had more time to maybe to get ready. Um, as, you know, from last year, it was kind of a, a little bit of rushing around and guys didn't know if they were going to play or not. Um, you know, guys coming in late and on the same day and stuff like that. So, you know, we, we want to eventually have a combination of guys who, we can have for a couple of weeks, you know, get, get some solid practices in and, and camaraderie, even though we already, you know, play together. We, we want to have that job um, because, you know, guys have been playing elsewhere. So I think if we're able to do that, um, you know, maybe for the next time, um, we'll have a better chance of getting the money and winning. Syracuse basketball historically has a great family. Uh, you know, from the past, present, and future, you guys all seem to unite, you know, on game days you know, summer workouts, especially, you know, at that beautiful mellow center that you have up in Syracuse. You know, it's a great thing to be around the guys that you played with, but, you know, talk about 
how great it was again being out on the court and competing with some of you know the teammates that you won a Big East championship with. Oh yeah, I mean well, that's what we love to do. You know, we love to get out there and compete, um, especially at a high level. Uh, and you know, on the again, just like we used to do here. So, and, and it makes it even better when you get out there and compete with guys that you like out on and off the court. Um, so, was, like I said, you know, um, somebody else earlier um, who was trying to ask the same questions. You know, it's, it's probably the funnest basketball I played. Those two weeks in, in a long time, probably since college, you know, overseas is a grind, you know, you're away from the people that you love and stuff like that. And just to be able to come together for, for those couple weeks and, uh, you know, enjoy it and, and, and play basketball with the guys that you know, love to play with, it makes it that much easier. And, um, you know, I had a great time and hopefully we could get you played with the majority of the guys on the team in your college days, but two specifically, Terrence Roberts and Daryl Watkins, you were teammates with on that 2006 Big East Championship team uh, you know, that went all the way at the Garden. How much did the experience help you in winning those you know, back-to-back-to-back games uh, at the Big East tournament help you in an environment like TBT? Well, I mean, it's tremendous just, just being in, you know, obviously a, a environment like the Garden playing in, in those Big East Championship games and being at ESPN, having that pressure. You know, it kind of makes it easy when you go and play into the TBT, not downplaying anything about the tournament, but we've been on that stage. We've been on a high stage and a high-pressure stage. Um, so that definitely helps um, when we're playing together, um, you know, at the TBT and in front of, uh, you know, people like that and on ESPN against that competition. So so it's easy to kind of block out that $2 million when the, when the game gets late? Your coach in 2015 was Lawrence Moten, you know, the all-time leading scorer in Syracuse history. Not a lot of people know that. But, you know, A lot of people outside of Syracuse, you know, just the fair-weather college basketball fan, might think it's you know, a couple other people, you know, high-profile names like Sherman, um, you know, like Carmelo, even though he was only there for a year. But what about Lawrence right. Moten and Ryan Blackwell really helped you as a player excel at the TBT? mentioned Ryan came over from Illinois and he did play at Syracuse but on your team you had one guy who didn't play at Syracuse that was Willie Dean he was a point guard uh, for Purdue Um, you know just looking over your stats from this from this past year you had 14 19 and 18 in your games you shot the ball about 50 percent from the floor how much did Willie help you uh, you know shoot the ball and and find open spaces and how much um, you know did he help you guys uh, you know in your offense, because he is a player that you guys didn't play with in college. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I was the one familiar with Willie. I played with Willie overseas, and he's actually not too far from Arias. He can actually be a couple hours away from Syracuse. But I met him when I played um, overseas in Ukraine. We played in the same league. And I was definitely a fan of his game there. So we, we kept in touch from there. And, um, you know, he, he agreed to play. He's, he's just a savvy veteran point guard. Knows how to play the game, to shoot the ball strong, um, play solid defense. You don't really have to, you know, tell him too much, you know. Tell him what he needs to know, and he's going to go out there and do it. Um, so he was definitely um, a great add to the team. He's a great leader. Um, like I said, a savvy player. And, he, and, you know, he helped me, you know, get my spots on the floor. Him being able to penetrate and, you know, um, suck the defensive in. I, I got a lot of open shots, and he created driving lanes for me, too. So I was happy to have Willie play, man. And, and, you know, we'll see if he comes back next year. Uh, hopefully he does. So, um, you know, we'll see. This year in the tournament, you, you were the two seed. You advanced to the Super 16, and you know before we get to the game, it's a matchup against the Untouchables, who are who was you know a, a majority of Pittsburgh guys. Did it bring you back to your college days playing against some of the likes of Gary McGee and 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 Levance Fields? No, absolutely, man. We you know we're familiar with all those guys, all those guys. Uh, we competed against, you know, had some great battles um, at, at Syracuse, at Pittsburgh. You know, all the guys can play. We, we knew that. Um, so, you know, either team could have won the game. Um, you know, they jumped ahead pretty early and, and, and sustained that lead for a while. Um, you know, we missed some shots. I think, you know, sometimes on the floor we, we had the wrong combination because, you know, guys weren't familiar because coming in late and, and whatever it may be. But, you know, I think that if we just had, you know, a little bit more time, um, to go over things and, and, and get the right combinations and we could have pulled it off. But, you know, Pittsburgh, they play, they're untouchable. They play a great game and they're great players. So uh, I'm sure they'll be in it next year as well. So uh, maybe we'll see them again. That's great news that you guys are going to be back, um, you know, next year in TBT 2017. Anything different, you know, now that you've been been around the tournament for two years? Anything, you know, you take from your two years of experience and you try to, you know, change a little bit going into 2017? change too much but you definitely learn from, from the games and from the environment and everything that goes on in the tournament you can do little tweaks here and there um, you know I think we'll probably try to be a little different as far as the organizing goes um, we'll try to get guys that can be up for um, a solid amount of time so we can, we can get that practice time in um, you know everything else um, seems to be good you know just just go out there and play and compete but that Pat um, so, but that Pat yeah. sorry, sorry about that no, but that patented two three zone is going to be back though. Uh, yeah, I mean we can mix it up. We can always play that. that uh, that's a staple of what we do. But um, I think we got the guys who can mix it up to you know play man and zone. So we'll see. That's awesome. And b- before we let you go, thank you very much for your time. You know, I've been we've been asking everybody. You know, overseas elite now has won two back to back championships, and people are saying, you know, is it an early dynasty in TBT with the guard play that they have, and you know. A long guard and DJ Kennedy, Eric McCollum, Kyle Fogg. How as a player, you know, do you approach a team like that, and how do you take down a team? Oh, I mean, they're they're a great team. I think you know matchups is are huge in the tournament. Um, you know, any team can beat any team on any given night. It's you know the talent is pretty similar. I think it has a lot to do with the camaraderie and, and them getting together and, and going through the plays and, and getting comfortable with each other. They played those those teams, those what six games in the tournament. They played great together, you know. And if we would have got matched up with them, it might have been different. You know, somebody it might have been different. Who knows? But 
Eric Dievendorf from Beheim's Army. Thanks for hopping on the podcast. I appreciate you having me, man. We look forward to seeing you next year. All right, great interviews. Maury, uh, what stood out to you from that, in, that conversation you had with Eric Devendorf? He has to, you know, tend to the player's needs. So he just, he can't come up with, he doesn't have a daily routine, let's say. So whether it's a player that wants to work out at eight in the morning before class, whether a player wants to work out at 10 o'clock at night, he really has to be flexible and, you know, and be, and be really versatile in, in his skills that he can teach and his times that he can coach. So, you know, Throughout the throughout an entire day, he doesn't have a set schedule, and this is a guy you know that's early in his coaching career, but he's putting in a ton of work. Yeah, and I'll just say from my conversation that I had with John, the Mensa end of the game scenario could be potentially dynamite. Um, hope you guys will think about that and and consider that as as interesting as I do. Uh, guys, let's get on to the uh, updates from around the world. Uh, Maury, let's start with you. Lot lot of updates. Uh, a lot in in Asia this week. Uh, at first. We're going to start over in China. DJ Kennedy, obviously, a you know really popular name in in TVT. Um, you know he's grown from his stellar play this summer. You know he was just three assists shy of a triple double in his last game. He had 19 points, 11 rebounds, seven assists. He's averaging 22 and 11 in China for the Guangzhou Long Lions, I guess. Uh, you're, we're going to pronounce good that to me. one. Um, DJ Kennedy, just just a great player, and you know he's been. One of the uh, one of the stalwarts and and key key pieces to overseas elite back to back championship runs you know over the last two years. Also in China, Jeremy Pargo. I know I brought him up a couple segments ago, but 25 assists to just three turnovers in the last 100 minutes he's played for the Shenzhen Leopards. The Leopards have really benefited from his play. You know he's led his, he's led his team to six straight wins, uh, and he also led his uh, Gonzaga alumni team, few good men in the TBT this past summer to the Super 16. Uh, and then we're going to take it over to South Korea. Uh, in my daily updates, I just put one out this morning on Twitter, uh, which is Friday, December 2nd. Ricardo Ratliff, you know, a player who doesn't, it doesn't, his name doesn't ring a bell, you know, for the average college basketball fan, but he was on a 30-win team with the Memphis Tigers back in 2012 before Kyle O'Quinn upset, you know, the Missouri Tigers in the 2012 NCAA tournament. He was a Big 12 tournament champion he is averaging 22.9 points per game 12 rebounds and 1.2 blocks he's in the top 10 in the league in the korean basketball league over in south korea in points blocks and rebounds just a tremendous player he had a double double in his team's only game this summer you know in tbt he plays for seven city green and then zach andrews who played for team 23 made that great run you know that unprecedented run in, in TBT 2015 for Michael Iliano's squad. He's playing in Japan uh, over in the second division. Guy who's known for his freak athleticism, his dunks, but you know he's had a great offensive season so far, averaging a double-double, a little over 11 points, uh, which I'm pretty sure is a career high for him. And he's got a really high constant motor, uh, Dan, and he, he hasn't had less than 10 rebounds in over six weeks. So that just kind of speaks to the intensity he brings night in, night out. He doesn't you know, let one play off. And could be an interesting discuss, uh, decision for Zach Andrews next summer when it comes to which team he's going to play for with CBT because he was a member of that Bradley Braves Sweet 16 team that essentially comprised the Always a Brave uh, squad from this past summer. They have an automatic slot in TBT, so we'll see what, what Zach ends up doing. Uh, great guy, and obviously, uh, you know, we're rooting for all those guys overseas to do and continue to do as well as they are. Josh, how about yeah, you? What have you got? 
Yeah, Dan, going over to Europe, a surprisingly uh, not a slow week, but um, not the kind of production we usually see. A couple of names that uh, we've seen already and a couple of new names. One of the uh, names that have made the list quite a bit, DeAndre Kane, one of my personal favorite players in TBT. Uh, he won the championship with Overseas Elite this past year. He's playing over in Russia. He had 16-9 uh, and nine in a big win over the top team um, over in Russia. He was the number three player in the Eurobasket Player of the Week uh, kind of list. They do a top 10 every week, and Kane was number three. He's at 17.4 points and eight rebounds a game over in Russia, which is, um, you know, it's always been a good league, but they're getting a lot of talent over in Russia, continuing to improve, so uh, we'll see how he continues to do over there. Uh, an old uh, named Tim Abramitis for the Notre Dame Fighting Alumni. I know he didn't play this year, but he played up in tw TBT 2015. He's playing over in Spain for Canaries. Uh, he had tw a season-high 21-9 and in a 73-59 win on Wednesday night, and he actually plays alongside Davin White, so uh, a couple of very notable TBT names on that Canaris team. And I know Davin White's played for them quite a bit. And I remember, Dan, uh, if you go way back into the podcast archive, you did a podcast with him. And uh, Davin basically said uh, they're living on, um, you know, Canaris, where they're located is pretty much a, a very nice, you know, oh, it's an island. Yeah, it's an so. island paradise, but it's, but it's yeah. part of Spain. So <laughs> it sounds like it's the best of every possible world. But yeah, so um, Grand Canarias Tenerife, that team is really the surprise of. Uh, the ACB in Spain this year. I know they're in second place, and uh, I'm getting updates all the time from Mike Iliano, obviously, because he's following closely with what's happening with um, Davin White. And uh, really a surprising squad to see how well they're doing, and hopefully they'll keep that up, and a couple of TPT years on that team will continue to have success. Absolutely. Uh, we've talked about the next three guys at different points, but an interesting development over in Israel with Tyshawn Taylor, Khalif Wyatt, and Gilbert Brown. Uh, Taylor from Faux Wyatt from North Broad Street uh, Bullies and Brown from the Untouchables. They're actually now three of the top four scorers over in Israel. They were uh, all floating around that mark at some point, but uh, as of right now, they're three of the top four scores over in Israel, another league which has really taken off and has a ton of TBT names if you uh, go up and down the roster. Tyshawn Taylor sitting atop the list. He's at 19.5 points a game, uh, unfortunately for the last place team over in Israel, but doing well for himself. Wyatt averaging 19.1, so just .4 below Tyshawn. He's at uh, Hapol Holon. Uh, where he plays with James Minor Bell from Supernova and previously of the Liberty Ballers, I believe. Uh, so, you know, another TBT connection right there. And uh, Gilbert Brown, the last one, he plays with TBT, or uh, Team BDB, excuse me, Yancey Gates and former Notre Dame fighting alumni Tyrone Nash. He's at 17.5 points a game, uh, and he is the fourth leading scorer over in Israel. And lastly, Dan, something you sent me hot off the wire. Uh, one of, I know one of our, you know, favorite players to watch last year, Marcella Somerville, uh, an interesting development for him. He had 21.2 points a game and seven rebounds for that Bradley alumni team. He was just named a member of the 2016, 2017 Bradley athletics hall of fame class. So, um, you know, going to be enshrined as one of the all time greats for Bradley, obviously, a member when they made that big NCAA tournament run, uh, and he's being honored for that. He's actually playing over in France right now, averaging 15.5 in uh, for a team over in North Central France. He's in his 11th year as a pro, and last year, for the same club, uh, and 
Kenty Orleans. He actually uh, dropped the single-season scoring record, uh, scoring 513 points. So uh, really a great year for him. He set a single-scoring record. He came into TBT and led his team to the Final Four. Now he's going to be enshrined as a member of the Bradley Athletics Hall of Fame class. Yeah, definitely congratulations to Marcellus. Well-deserved, great guy. Uh, his you know, wife was one of their top fans of the team as well. So really happy for him and uh, everybody there at Bradley. That's great. Hey, Dan, did you hear about the uh, new D-League contract? I know that was definitely an area of interest for all of us. Yeah, so, yeah, I did. Um, basically, what's going to happen is that it looks like in the next NBA collective bargaining agreement that's going to be signed next summer, the D-League uh, is going to have a different salary structure. So they're saying, at least the, as the reports have suggested, between a $50,000 and $75,000 uh, annual salary, which is significantly higher than what they pay right now. But then the most interesting part is that they're going to permit two-way contracts which are essentially what they have uh, in minor league baseball. you know. So you can go up and down between AAA and the major league uh, team without there being uh, consequences for um, your overall roster number. So they're going to basically increase the total number of players on a contract from 15 to 18. So I actually think that's kind of a big deal. You know, It seems like there's a lot of guys that are playing overseas. They may not be making, they're making significantly more than 50 to 75, but the real attraction is the idea that you could be under contract with an NBA team and potentially be called up multiple times throughout the season uh, without, uh, you know, like I said, impacting the overall roster thing. It seems like kind of a big deal, guys. Yeah, Dan, I've always kind of been thinking about that. I never got why the D-League wasn't more of a, a minor league kind of team. Like you mentioned with the MLB uh, is probably the biggest example of that. The AHL, you know, players can go up and down over in hockey. Um, the NFL doesn't really have anything. But um, I was always interested in that. And I think, I mean, it'd be great to be able to have some of these guys, you know, back in the States, you know, after they play in TBT, you can go, um, you know, MD League teams are usually in smaller towns, so people who don't have access to an NBA team can go catch out some of these guys. So uh, I, I'm all for it. I think it would be great. I think a lot of players could get a little bit burned out playing, going from country to country over the years. So if they could, you know, get a pretty well-paying D League uh, job, you know, with the team, they would. I think that's something they'd certainly be interested in. You know, people who have family who can't be moving around all the time. So I'm all for it. I think it's great. Um, and, and kudos to the NBA for getting that done. Yeah, the thing that is interesting, though, is that the number is just high enough that it's kind of a it's attractive, but it's not going to blow you away. And it's not quite high enough that it's going to change the dynamic for a lot of the guys that are making, you know, one hundred and fifty to 250000 a year. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's almost like a tease. Like, do <laughs> you take the chance yeah. of, of signing the deal and being essentially the 17th or 18th guy on a roster or do you just make your money overseas and kind of live the life that you've been living already? An interesting uh, kind of example was Mike Cabungo, who I know played in the D-League for several years. And, you know, we always kind of joke. He, I mean, it's true, though. He made more in TBT uh, for that one month than he did over in the D-League. But he's an interesting case, a guy who was, you know, he he believed he had a shot at the NBA um, and but, you know, he was making peanuts and, you know, it, it's tough for him. I mean, for him, he he was able to win TBT twice. He just went overseas, but he was able to win TBT twice to supplement that. But uh, it's a hard life in the D League. So, um, you, like you mentioned, it, it's not gonna. I don't think you're gonna get a DJ Kennedy who can still um, make. If you know he's not gonna get significant time in the NBA, he's gonna make more money over in China, like he's playing now, where he's playing very well. He's gonna right. make a lot more over there. But again, very interesting. We'll see how many guys end up taking that leap. All right, this is great. All right, so guys, we'll be back next week. As always, remember that you can subscribe to TBT's podcast on iTunes. And if you are subscribing, be sure to hit that rating and review 
button. Help spread the word about TBT. Tell all your friends. If anything comes up in the course of the week, we'll be sure to inform you next week. Thanks again, and have a great week.